As you've been hearing today on CBC News, one of B.C.'s most visible Mounties in recent years is on long-term stress leave after she says she endured years of sexual harassment on the force. Kate Galliford was the RCMP spokesperson during both the Picton case and the Air India bombing investigation. And here she is describing the harassment that led to her post-traumatic stress disorder. If I had a dime for every time one of my bosses asked me to sit on his knee, I'd be on a yacht in the Bahamas right now. But one of my bosses, who had been trying to be intimate with me <clears throat> throughout my time with Air India, and kept on taking me on the road trying to have sex with me, I was going to people saying, we don't have any new information to share with the Air India family members right now, so why are we going? Like, why are we going on this trip? And no one said anything but it was because he wanted to give the perception that we were a couple. I started to normalize the harassment because I didn't know what else to do. And then it just got to the point after I had about 16 years of service that I broke. I completely broke. Corporal Kate Galliford, former RCMP spokesperson in British Columbia. Now, CBC News broke the story last night that she has now filed a formal complaint about the harassment. She plans a lawsuit as well. An RCMP statement released yesterday says that the force has a zero-tolerance policy for harassment of any kind. We're wondering today how you have dealt with sexual harassment or bullying in the workplace, what circumstances do you think allow this behavior to be present in a workplace? You can phone us right now with your thoughts on this if you're in the Lower Mainland, 604-669-3733. Outside the metro area, 1-800-825-5950. The cell, star or pound, 690. And with me in studio is Erica Pinsky, a respectful workplace solutions expert, and her latest book is titled Road to Respect, Path to Profit, and she is with me now. Welcome to BC Almanac today, Erica. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. When you heard about Kate Galliford's allegations, her story, what, what did you think about this? I wish I could say that I was surprised and shocked, but I wasn't. Unfortunately, we had already an example with the uh, case of Nancy Siltz, who filed for sex harassment and bullying and was awarded the highest award ever in British Columbia, $950,000 in damages, because of what she had experienced at, uh, at the RCMP. So, you know, I think that... It's not surprising to hear that there is ongoing. There are ongoing issues. We're looking from the outside in to to the RCMP culture that perhaps allows this to continue to happen. What what do you see? Why why do you think it could still happen? Well, you know, I refer to harassment and bullying as power based behaviors. It's very much about our ability to engage in those behaviors is directly related to the dynamic of power, and how we respond to those is directly related to the dynamic of power. You know, the RCMP being quasi military, it is very much tied to that traditional command and control type of management environment or management culture. And if we want to change that culture, it really is a question of how do we change it? How do we create a culture where we can still lead, but we don't necessarily have to have that power-based kind of management that so often leads to these kinds of problems? Allegations, these are her superiors. How, do you, how might you push back against that 
if, if you're facing that kind of harassment? Well, I think it's very, very difficult for an individual like um, Kate, who was in a culture where, unfortunately, the behavior is condoned. So it's one thing where it's one individual who might be an isolated individual that's doing this, but other than that, everyone else in the culture behaves rather respectfully. And so then she could go to somebody else and say, hey, this is going on. But where the culture tolerates and condones this, and this is appears to be the case in the RCMP on the basis of what she's describing, then it's very difficult because there's no one really that will listen to you because they're not interested in listening because the the norms of the culture are such that this is what we do around here. And that's what I heard in her statement where she said she normalized the behavior. I say that all the time. It's the answer to the question, what's it like to work around here? That's what culture is. And if what's it like to work around here means you put up with these kinds of comments, then after a while you just think, well, okay, I guess I have to put up with these comments. Quarter after the hour, and we are asking for our listeners' input on this as well. And uh, Erica Pinsky is with me. Her book is called Road to Respect, Path to Profit, and 604-669-3733, 1-800-825-5950. What protection is there for B.C. workers, whether it's with the, the federal RCMP or any other employer here in British Columbia, if someone is being sexually harassed, what protection is there for them? Well, sexual harassment is covered. It's a ground of discrimination. It's con- considered sexual discrimination, and it is covered under the B.C. Human Rights Code, or if you're a federally regulated employee, as she was at the RCMP, mm-hmm. then it's the Canadian Human Rights Act. So certainly there is protection for employees to file a complaint. If it's a, a bullying complaint, unfortunately, there is currently no protection. And what's the distinction there? The distinction is that um, for a human rights complaint with sexual harassment, the allegation is that um, what's happening to me is happening to me because of my gender. And so the uh, it's, it's because of a personal characteristic that's protected and enumerated in the law. And uh, the behavior that I'm describing is directly related to my gender. So it's comments or conduct that are degrading, insulting, humiliating, uh, unwelcome that relate to my gender, my sexuality, those sorts of things. Whereas bullying is just, um, just I mean, to differentiate, mm-hmm. not to minimize it because it's a very destructive and disrespectful behavior, is sort of a disrespectful, demeaning, intimidating, threatening, insulting comments that are not related to a personal characteristic like my gender, my ethnicity, my sexual orientation, my political or family status, my abilities or disabilities. Let's go to our listeners now. We're wondering if, you, if you've had to deal with this, sexual harassment or bullying in the workplace, how you did deal with that, and what circumstances do you think allow this behavior to continue in the workplace? Christina in Surrey. Please go ahead, Christina. Oh, hi. Um, my experience with dealing with um, sexual harassment in the workplace is I work as a, um, a nanny, and one family that I worked for, um, the, they had a flower farm, so the dad was home all day, every day, and he would just be coming in and out of the house, um, you know, 10-minute periods, that kind of thing. And every time he'd come in, he would either um, find a way to touch me, like he would um, take his hands and he'd put them up the back of my shirt and he'd say, oh, aren't my hands cold? Or he'd make these offhanded comments about my partner, my boyfriend. He'd say, oh, you're lucky, you know, Trevor's lucky I'm a good man. And, like, just all these comments that I knew were sexual in their nature. And, like like I said, always finding a way to touch me or the way he'd look at me. But it was never so blatant. It was really uncomfortable for me. And it was never so blatant in the way that I could say, listen, this is so inappropriate. You need to stop or I know what you're trying to do because I felt like, if I had done that, that he would have said something to me like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, you know, like, so he was doing it, and I knew that it wasn't right. I knew it was inappropriate, but it wasn't 
forward enough. Like he didn't actually proposition me for sex or anything like that. And I ended up um, leaving. I felt like I couldn't do anything. I felt like I couldn't talk to his wife and I ended up quitting for a reason other than that. Um, but that really contributed to it. And I had tried to say to her, like, your husband does things that make me very uncomfortable, but completely dismissed. Like, they, neither one of them were open. It was very awkward, very uncomfortable. And it was about six months that I was there. Yes. Uh, Erica, if she was in the middle of this experience, what, what would you advise her to do in a circumstance like this? Well, I, I think it's a difficult uh, circumstance because it's one-on-one and you're a nanny, and so it's not even, you know, technically if there were sort of four or more employees, you'd have some legal protection. Um, and I know what you mean when you say um, that, you know, you didn't feel you could speak up, but I always think that our best um, defense or the best thing we can do in a situation like this is to speak up. We don't have to wait until it gets to be, you know, something really serious. So the hands go up the shirt, uh, the back of the shirt. I'm not comfortable with right. that. Tell. Did, exactly. did you express that, Christina, at the time? Um, I, I would. I didn't feel comfortable saying, like, hey, listen, I know this is wrong. Like, I know, like, this is sexual harassment. I didn't feel comfortable saying it that way. But I would definitely, like, jump away right away. And um, at the beginning, like, because it started within a week of me working there. And um, so I would jump away. And I'd say, oh, no, don't. I'm really cold. And then as it went on more and more, I would just say, like, don't touch me. Or when he would make the comments towards my boyfriend, like, oh, Trevor's lucky that I'm a man that is married and this and that, I'd say, um, I would try to be, I don't know what the word is, but um, indignant, like it would never happen anyways, like kind of flippant, like dismissive of whatever he was saying. But I was never able to say, I'm uncomfortable, please stop. Because I just felt like, I felt like they would make me out to be like, I don't like a baby or, do you know what I mean? Like that it would, they would say like I was making it up or it was in my head or even like worse, like don't flatter yourself kind of thing. And But the whole six months I was there, that went on. Yes, and Eric, I guess having the confidence to to do something as it's happening is what's important there. Isn't it's it? critically important because yeah. I think that's what allows this so often. And I'm not saying this in any kind of blameworthy way. I completely understand the situation you were in, and most people would react the same way. Mm-hmm. But we really, I think, have to say to ourselves, what's, what is respectful to self? Something's happening to me that doesn't work for me. I need to be clear and speak up and step into my power and say, hey – you know, I don't like this, don't do this, and really kind of push the envelope a little bit because whatever they could do, um, you know, what, what, would, what, what could be worse than what they were doing in the first place? And really, uh, as I said earlier, it's a power-based behavior. So I often say to people, you need to meet power with power, although I don't, you know, advocate being, you know, overly aggressive. But it's a power-based behavior, and you have to be clear to say, I'm not going to put up with this. I don't like this. I know what you're doing, and don't do it. Christina, thank you for that example, and uh, many people working on one-on-one situations like that, perhaps, or within a family uh, as a solo service provider could be in a difficult situation. Carolyn in Victoria now. Please go ahead, Carolyn. Yes, I really appreciate this program. Um, It actually makes me kind of shaky because I was in a situation of 10 years of working um, in a culture exactly like is being described and uh, submitted an 18-page letter about 10 years of harassment and ended up retiring in frustration and now living in poverty. And uh, I can't help but wonder if there isn't some recourse for people like myself and others because what I was told is that if I wanted to uh, take it to a tribunal, it would take probably five years and I'd probably lose. So I walked away from $250,000 worth of salary money at the very least 
and uh, ended up having to declare bankruptcy because I uh, could get nowhere against a culture of uh, harassment in my workplace. To lose so much, uh, Erica, the, the Human Rights Tribunal, is is that a worthwhile, it, it's time-consuming from, from what Carolyn is telling us, but is that a consideration for people? Um, well, uh, again, I would—I don't know the circumstances mm-hmm. or when it took place. Certainly, the award from the tribunal would never uh, equate anything like you know two hundred and fifty thousand. Generally, twenty to thirty is a good award. But um, we do have, um, uh, you know, we have streamlined the human rights process so that a complaint can be uh, fast-tracked and go to mediation much more quickly. The reason that we, you know, I think uh, as an employee, it's always in one's best interest to file a complaint is because once the complaint is filed, the employer simply can't ignore it. They have to respond because it becomes a public complaint, a public matter. And, you know, depending on who's advising you, they may be advising you in their best interest rather than your best interest. So it's always better, you know, you're always better off to file a complaint, and then if it doesn't go well, well, you can deal with it. Any recourse years later? Well, depending on how many years later and whether or not she signed a release and all those sorts of things, it would affect whether or not there is any recourse. Carolyn, how long ago was this? Uh, this was five years ago, and I did not sign a release, and I did file two complaints, one uh, or two um, statements, whatever you call them, one with my employer and one with the Workers' Compensation Board. Um, but I'm, you know, I don't know the status of, of all of that because I retired in, you know, for my health. And uh, but it was an independent lawyer in Vancouver who who stated that the general course of these things is that uh, it takes five years for it to go through and you're not likely to win. Well, hopefully, it's it's a speedier process uh, as Eric is describing it. Carolyn, thank you uh, very much for your call. We have another five minutes or so here. Six six nine three seven three three to hear more examples and comments from listeners on this one eight hundred eight two five fifty nine fifty to Prince George next. Tyler, hello, Tyler. Hello. Your comments on this, please. I uh, I had heard about the story a few days ago there when you guys uh, had it on uh, on the radio, and my first thought was. Um, why, why is the RCMP as a whole being held responsible for the actions of a few? Um, it sounds like uh, that was addressed uh, with the word culture. Um, there's, there's harassment of every type in every workplace, and uh, without communication between the person who is uncomfortable and the person who's doing it, um, the person who's doing it might think that uh, that person that they're doing it to has uh, better or, or more liberal guidelines or something for, for what's acceptable. And I'm just wondering, you know, at, at what point uh, the woman actually s- said no and what happened? I mean, if if she can name names of individuals who were in the wrong, then, then why is it the RCMP as a whole is being held responsible? And what that means for taxpayers, if, if there's a lawsuit against the RCMP, um, you know, who's going to come up with that money and, and why... I don't know. It just it, it seems a bit uh, broad for, for me, anyway. Erica, what do you think? Uh, should it be individuals held accountable here? 
Well, the reason that the RCMP is being held accountable is because that's the way the law is set up. Human rights law covers employees and the employer, which means the employer, the organization is always held responsible. They are liable um, under human rights law, and it's a statutory liability that flows from the, the case law. So there's no way to evade that responsibility. Now, there can also be additional liability for individual supervisors, managers, leaders who also carry liability. But the way the law looks at it is it says the employer is obligated in law to create a quote-unquote respectful environment, which means that the employer is obligated to tell people who are in positions of power, this is how you have to manifest your power and you can't do these sorts of things. So the there's really no way for the RCMP to evade. I think your point is well taken in terms of the cost to the taxpayers. The other question we have to ask ourselves is after the 2006 decision and the 900 $150,000 award, the highest ever in British Columbia against Nancy, from Nancy Stoltz against the RCMP for ongoing sex harassment and bullying. How is it that the RCMP hasn't actually done anything to uh, assist this and has currently 48 individuals in British Columbia who are off because of either bullying or sexual harassment? Tyler, thanks for the call. And uh, Kevin now, as we're coming up to the half hour in Karameas. Kevin? Hello, Mr. Forsyth. How are you doing? I'm well. Good. I was just going to say this whole bullying thing in a word. It's testosterone. And some of us grow out of it, and some of us grow with it. And we need to, in a word, mature. It's prevalent. It's everywhere. I've worked in construction for 9 to 30 years, and it's, it's everywhere. The bullying thing, the harassment thing, and it's... In some places, it's not prevalent, but in other places, it is. And it's usually an individual or a small group of individuals that are are pushing it. And it makes no sense. There, it's, it's, it's acceptable in certain circumstances, certain cultures, quote-unquote, and, and maybe not in others. And what def- what defines the difference, Erica? Why, why would it be acceptable in one place and not another? Well, I mean, I think it has to do with the attitude of the employer and how the kind of culture they want to create. But I think the caller has a very valid and relevant point, which is that bullying is very much accepted and condoned in society. We see it on television. We see it on all sorts of, you know, it, it's, it's, we have that old saying, you know, management by intimidation, all those sorts of things. So, yes, uh, bullying is prevalent. And it's, I think it, we can say it just happens and we have to accept it. I choose not to, not to support that. I think, yes it happens it's wrong we need to change it we need to stand up speak up raise our voices and say no we're not going to take this and employers so what do you tell employers when they face these allegations well my book is called road to respect path to profit for a reason um it, it costs employers lots and lots and lots of money in terms of lost resources, lost time, absenteeism, loss of productivity, diminished teamwork, diminished creativity, communication, increased conflict, quitting, inability to attract and retain. I mean, the costs are huge. It is better business to create an environment where people can come to work, do their job, get along with their coworkers, and not have to put up with any of this kind of behavior. It's just a much better business case and a better business model. It seems to make a lot of sense. It so does. Why, why doesn't it happen? Because it's just, it's always, as the caller said, this is kind of the way it's been, and often it just continues because of what um, that RCMP constable is claiming. It normalizes the behavior. People come in, they look around, as this caller said, and they think, okay, well, I guess that's just the way it is around here, so if I want to work here, I'm going to have to put up with it. 
Kevin, thank you for your call, and thanks to all of the listeners who took the time to to, uh, give us a call. You could send us an email, too, with further thoughts on this, almanac at cbc.ca. And Erica, thank you for being here for this discussion. Well, thank you so much for having me. Erica Pinsky, and her latest book is called Road to Respect, Path to Profit. We will post that on our BC Almanac webpage, our, our bookshelf as well.